Good morning, and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Sunday, June 4th, 2023, and with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman, and here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we'll talk about the deadliest train crash in India, the financial collapse of UNARWA, Ukraine's military readiness for a counteroffensive, Chinese defense minister's call for dialogue with the U.S., and the warning given to Boris Johnson by cabinet office lawyers regarding public funding for his legal advice in relation to the COVID-19 inquiry. Story number one. According to The Guardian, at least 261 people have been killed and 900 injured in the deadliest train crash in India in over two decades. The incident occurred on Friday, when the Coromandel Express collided with a freight train in the eastern state of Odisha, causing some carriages of the Howrah Superfast Express train, which was traveling in the opposite direction, to derail. Over 3,400 passengers were on board both trains. Rescue teams, including soldiers, used metal cutters and rescue dogs to locate and reach those trapped in the wreckage. The Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, visited the site on Saturday, and promised that those responsible will be severely punished. Man, this train crash in India is just devastating. Over 260 people dead and 900 injured. It's one of the deadliest in decades. It really makes you think about the safety standards and regulations in place for transportation systems, especially in countries where accidents like this happen more frequently. Absolutely, Mark. It's heartbreaking to hear about such a tragic incident, it's important to consider the reasons behind these discrepancies in safety measures between countries. Factors like outdated infrastructure, inadequate maintenance, and insufficient funding could all contribute to a higher risk of accidents. Yeah, you're right, Linda. And it's not just India, either. There have been major train accidents in other countries, too. Like the 2013 Lac-Megantic rail disaster in Canada, and the 2015 Philadelphia train derailment in the United States. It seems like there's always room for improvement when it comes to safety. Definitely, Mark. It's crucial for governments and transportation authorities to invest in better infrastructure, regular maintenance, and advanced technology to prevent such tragedies. Additionally, proper training and strict adherence to safety protocols for railway staff can make a significant difference. Absolutely, Linda. And it's not just about the money, it's about prioritizing safety and making it a core value within the transportation industry. I mean, think about it. Thousands of people rely on these systems every day to get to work, school, and just, you know, live their lives. They deserve to know they're safe. I couldn't agree more, Mark. It's essential for governments and transportation authorities to learn from these tragic incidents and implement effective policies and improvements to ensure greater safety for daily commuters and passengers. No one should have to worry about their safety when traveling on public transportation. Story number two. According to Al Jazeera, the United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, is facing financial collapse due to a shortage of funds from donor countries. The agency needs $300 million to continue providing services to nearly 6 million Palestinian refugees in Israeli-occupied territories and refugee camps in neighboring countries, but has only received $107 million in new pledges. The shortfall is expected to affect more than 700 schools and 140 clinics from September to December. The UNRWA appealed for $1.6 billion at the start of the year and has already faced a shortfall of nearly $75 million. The agency has been underfunded for 10 years, but the current crisis is described as massive and our main existential threat. 
Man, it's really disheartening to see the Yunarawa struggling so much financially. Those millions of Palestinian refugees depend on their services, and it looks like they're not getting the funding they need. Yes, it's quite concerning. The shortfall in funds will directly affect the essential services they provide, like education, healthcare, and social services. It's a shame that the donor countries haven't been able to meet the required amount for the agency to continue their work. Absolutely, Linda. And it's not just the Palestinian refugees who are affected. This kind of underfunding has happened with other refugee support agencies in the past, too. And it's always the vulnerable populations that suffer the most. That's true, Mark. It's important to remember that these organizations are often the last lifeline for refugees who have been forcibly displaced from their homes. When they're underfunded, it's not just a matter of cutting back on some services. It can mean the difference between life and death for many people. It makes you wonder, though, why donor countries are falling short in their contributions. I mean, these are human lives we're talking about here. You'd think they'd be more, you know, generous in their support. There could be a myriad of reasons, Mark. It could be due to shifting political priorities, economic constraints, or even a lack of awareness about the urgency of the situation. Whatever the reason, it's crucial that we find a way to ensure the sustainability of these organizations. Yeah, you're right. Maybe more public awareness campaigns or even private sector involvement could help bridge the gap. It's just... It's just so frustrating to see these vital organizations struggling when there are people out there who desperately need their help. I share your frustration, Mark. It's a complex issue, but one that we must continue to discuss and advocate for. The lives and well-being of millions of refugees depend on it. Story number three. According to The Guardian, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has announced that the country's military is ready to launch a counteroffensive and has hinted at concern over the possibility of Donald Trump returning to the White House in 2024. Zelensky has suggested that a significant attack could come soon and hopes that a change in U.S. presidency would not impact military aid to Kyiv. Ukraine has readied 12 brigades, an estimated 60,000 troops, to spearhead an attack it hopes to show it can force the Russian invaders, who total about 300,000 from its territory, some of which has been occupied since 2014. The theme of discussion is how the changing political landscapes, particularly potential shifts in U.S. leadership, can impact ongoing conflicts like the Russia-Ukraine war and influence decisions made by leaders such as President Zelensky. The discussion could also delve into historical cases where leadership changes have affected war efforts and explore how these changes impact international alliances and global diplomatic relations. Man, it's crazy to think that the outcome of the next U.S. election could have such huge consequences for countries like Ukraine. It really is, Mark. It's a reminder of how interconnected our world has become and how the decisions made by one nation can ripple out and affect so many others. In the case of Ukraine, President Zelensky is understandably concerned about the possibility of a Trump return in 2024, since Trump's stance on the conflict has been rather ambiguous. Absolutely, Linda. I mean, you gotta give credit to Zelensky for trying to reach out to a wider Republican audience by speaking to the Wall Street Journal. He's making sure that his country's interests are being heard, and he's not just relying on one political party for support. That's true, Mark. It's important for leaders like Zelensky to maintain open lines of communication with all potential allies. And it's not just about military aid, but also about diplomatic support and finding ways to resolve conflicts peacefully whenever possible. Yeah, 
And speaking of diplomacy, it's interesting that Zelensky said he won't attend the next NATO summit in Vilnius unless Ukraine is given a roadmap to membership. I mean, that's a bold move, but it shows how serious he is about securing a stronger alliance for his country. It is a bold move, Mark. But it also highlights the difficult position Ukraine finds itself in. They're fighting for their sovereignty and security, and they need the support of powerful allies like NATO. It's a delicate balancing act, and it's crucial for leaders like Zelensky to navigate these complex relationships with care. Story number four. Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu, as reported by Al Jazeera, has called for dialogue with the United States, warning that any conflict between the two nations would have disastrous consequences for the world. Speaking at the Shangri-La Dialogue, Li said that while China and the U.S. have different systems, they should seek common ground and interests to grow bilateral ties and deepen cooperation. Ties between the two countries are strained over a range of issues, including Taiwan, territorial disputes in the South China Sea, and U.S. restrictions on semiconductor chip exports. Li also warned against the establishment of NATO-like military alliances in the Asia-Pacific, saying they would only increase security risks. You know, Linda, it's interesting to see China's defense minister Li Shangfu emphasizing dialogue over confrontation with the U.S. It seems like both sides are trying to find a way to communicate and avoid any unbearable disaster for the world. Yes, Mark, it's definitely a complex situation. Historically, diplomatic and military relations between the U.S. and China have always been delicate. The rising tensions over Taiwan, the South China Sea, and trade restrictions only add to the challenges of maintaining stability. Absolutely. And let's not forget the role of regional security alliances like NATO, AUKUS, and the Quad. They're shaping the power dynamics in the Asia-Pacific region, and it's important to strike a balance. What do you make of Li's warning against NATO-like alliances? Lee's warning is likely a reaction to the U.S. strengthening its alliances and partnerships in the region, such as the AUKUS alliance with Australia and the U.K. China may see these alliances as a threat to its own interests and regional influence. It's crucial to find a way for these alliances to coexist without escalating tensions. Right. And it's also worth noting the statements made by U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. He mentioned that conflict is neither imminent nor inevitable, and they don't seek confrontation but they won't flinch in the face of bullying or coercion. How do you interpret that? Austin's statement is a clear message that the U.S. is committed to preserving the status quo in Taiwan and opposing unilateral changes from either side. It's an attempt to reassure allies in the region, while also signaling to China that the U.S. is ready to stand up against any aggressive actions. It's definitely a tightrope walk for both sides. And with historical cases of great power rivalries, it's always a challenge to prevent conflicts and maintain stability. Any final thoughts on how they can address the concerns of both sides? Well, Mark, it's essential for both sides to engage in open and transparent dialogue, establish clear lines of communication, and invest in confidence-building measures. By doing so, they can address their concerns and work towards a more stable and peaceful relationship in the Asia-Pacific region. Story number five. Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been warned by cabinet office lawyers that public funding for his legal advice in relation to the COVID-19 inquiry will be withdrawn if he hinders or frustrates the investigation, as reported by The Guardian. The money will cease to be available if he fails to comply with certain conditions, including releasing evidence without permission. 
The warning comes as ministers launched a high court bid to challenge the inquiry's demand for Johnson's unredacted WhatsApp messages and contemporaneous notebooks. Tory donor Lord Crudus has said he can easily get Johnson's legal fees funded by supporters and crowdfunding. So, Boris Johnson might lose public funding for legal advice if he tries to hinder the COVID-19 inquiry, huh? It's about time that politicians are held accountable for their actions, especially when it comes to something as serious as a pandemic. Absolutely, Mark. Transparency and accountability are crucial in maintaining trust in our government institutions. It's disheartening to see attempts to obstruct or undermine independent investigations, especially when public funds are involved in providing legal representation. You hit the nail on the head, Linda. I mean, it's taxpayers' money we're talking about here. People have the right to know what's going on, and if a politician is trying to dodge an inquiry, it just raises more questions and suspicions. Indeed, Mark. This issue isn't unique to the UK either. We've seen similar struggles for transparency in other countries and historical cases. It's a delicate balance between protecting the privacy of individuals involved and ensuring that the truth is uncovered. Exactly. And in this case, with Johnson potentially losing public funding for legal advice— it's a clear message that there are consequences for obstructing the work of an inquiry. It's a step in the right direction, if you ask me. It certainly is, Mark. However, it's also important to consider the reactions of political opponents and the general public. While some may view this as a necessary measure to ensure accountability, others might see it as a political maneuver to discredit Johnson. True, true. But at the end of the day, it's all about finding the truth, right? If there's nothing to hide, then there should be no problem cooperating with the inquiry. Let's just hope that this case serves as a reminder to politicians everywhere that they're not above the law. Well said, Mark. Ensuring transparency and accountability in government inquiries is essential for fostering trust and promoting responsible governance. Let's hope that this situation leads to positive change and greater openness in the future. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.